Hello and welcome to the SAP Cloud Platform Podcast. This is episode 36 and we are just back from vacation. Hopefully everybody got some rest and relaxation. This is actually our first podcast for this year, so happy new 2018 and may this year give you the opportunity to follow your dreams, love like there is no tomorrow and smile unconditionally. And of course, a lot of SAP Cloud Platform new features. With the new year, you get yourself a new host. I'm Ina Ivanova from SAP Cloud Platform product management team, and I'm broadcasting from Sofia, Bulgaria, where we have one of the SAP lab locations, and a lot of the development teams of the platform are working here. We will cover some cool topics on today's episode, starting with a brief overview of the newest updates on SAP Cloud Platform, then we will do a deep dive on Node.js together with Petr Dochev and Stuyan Gradev both SAP colleagues part of the platform development, and to wrap it up, we will take a look at the upcoming events in the beginning of 2018. And that's it for today, so let's get it rolling! As usual, we've chosen some highlights of the latest release to share during the podcast. For the full overview, please check the release notes online on help.sap.com, go to the cloud platform and open the release notes tab. It's been a holiday season. And still, we managed to deliver some really nice new stuff in SAP Cloud Platform. Hello, hoi Amsterdam. My Dutch is not really good. So I stop here on saying hi. I just wanted to let you know that new environment is now available in new region in Europe, Amsterdam. We also offer a new consumption-based commercial model for a set of SAP Cloud Platform services. This enables you to find, try, buy, consume, and pay for the actual usage of these services. You can also track and monitor resource usage and the balance of your cloud credits in the new Global Account Overview page in Cloud Cockpit. This is pretty cool in my opinion. If you want to know more, please check out the announcement in release notes, the documentation link there, and the pricing page on the cloudplatform.sap.com website. Going further, global account administrators can now view more information in the global account tiles about the signed data processing agreement addendum for the non-SAP infrastructure as a service providers, and even download the digital copy of this. There is one important announcement for the Java runtimes in the new environment, have in mind that SAP JVM 6 is no longer supported and you should use the newer versions. In the web ID, it is now possible to debug Java modules using the debug pane. And to close it like we started, hey, willkommen in Swedish, or hi, welcome. In identity authentication, we added Swedish to the supported languages for end-user screens. And now it's time to do a deep dive in Node.js. Our special guests today are Stian Gradev and Petr Dochev, and both are actually part of SAP Cloud Platform Development. So maybe Stian, Peter, can you give a little bit of a background of what are your focus areas, what are you working on within the product? Hello, I'm Peter. I'm a developer from the Node.js team. Our team is responsible for a bunch of NPM packages, which should help integrate Node.js applications on the SAP platform. Yes. Hello, I'm Stuan and I'm part of Abacus team. We are responsible for metering of SAP Cloud Platform. Few words about Abacus architecture. It's a set of microservices written in Node.js. 
Okay, great. Thank you. So maybe before we start with a deep dive in Node.js as a topic, it makes sense to have a little bit of a warm-up on this technical topic. So I know that Node.js is actually a JavaScript runtime, but for example, I have no experience with JavaScript. Um, and on the contrary, I've been a Java developer. So maybe a few words, how and what are the major differences between a JavaScript and Java? Okay, so while the names of both languages are similar, they are actually quite uh, different. Both appeared in the same year of 1995, but for a long time uh, JavaScript uh, was uh, considered as a not so capable scripting language, but in the recent years it has come a long way. So the first uh, difference people notice is that in JavaScript uh, you declare no types for variables and properties so you can uh, call a function with any arguments or assign any value to a property and uh, first people think that uh, this uh, may lead to programs which are not very reliable but Actually, this makes you use more testing and with help of unit tests, you can ensure that your program executes correctly. Another significant difference is the lack of explicit compilation step in JavaScript. And well, actually there is a compilation, but it happens at runtime by the JavaScript engine. And currently there is a lot of effort going on in that uh, direction to optimize the performance of JavaScript. There are major vendors like Google with V8, Mozilla with SpiderMonkey, and even Microsoft with their latest uh, Chakra Core JavaScript uh, engine. So the performance of JavaScript uh, is not so far behind uh, Java and it is gaining. Uh, in terms of uh, program design, JavaScript favors functional programming over object-oriented programming. Instead of classes, there are uh, prototypes and it makes uh, heavy use of function closures, which allows uh, to build uh, really uh, interesting uh, patterns. And as mentioned, JavaScript is evolving uh, really fast. In the last uh, three years, we saw three major revisions of the language. Great. So it sounds definitely interesting. So um, I don't know, GS uses an event-driven non-blocking I.O. model that is actually what makes it lightweight and efficient. So what can you share with us a bit more about this programming model? Okay, the heart of asynchronous Node.js is the reactive pattern. The main concepts behind it are single-thread architecture and uh, non-blocking I.O. The, the idea of the reactive pattern is to have a handler associated with uh, each I.O. operation, which will be invoked as soon as the event is processed. The program which manages this is called Event Loop, and it involves Event Demultiplexer and Event Queue. Event demultiplexer receives I/O requests and delegates them to the appropriate hardware. Once the I/O request is processed, it uh, adds the registers handler in the event queue. Event demultiplexer is actually an abstraction uh, over 
non-blocking I/O functionality of different operation systems. And for example, in Linux, it's EPO. In Mac, it's uh, KQ. But the most important fact here is that Node.js consumes them. I mentioned several times event queue, but it's not one, but there are four main types of uh, queues. The first one is queue of expired timers and intervals queue. The second one is the queue for completed IO requests. The third one is the queue for state immediates. And uh, the next, the fourth one is the queue for calls handlers. Also, there are two intermediate queues for next ticks and for promise resolved. And before processing the main queue event to process the intermediate queues. I just want to add that uh, executing JavaScript in a single thread also brings some uh, benefits, like there are no concurrency issues, so you don't need locks and mutexes. And you have uh, no deadlocks, no hard to reproduce and debug uh, timing issues. So this is a significant benefit. And also in comparison to multi-threading model, there are less context switches, which also improves performance. Okay, I've heard, even though it sounds really nice, that uh, this this model kind of leads to uh, something called callback hell. So can you give a bit of more insight what a callback hell is and is there a good recipe to fix it? Yes, as uh, we mentioned already, when you trigger a, a, an asynchronous operation in JavaScript, you need also to provide a callback, which is involved when this operation is complete. But often, one operation is complete, you need to start another one and then you need another callback and soon you end up in a chain of nested callbacks which is uh, hard to read and reason about. And there are several uh, ways to address this and to improve the code. The standard and the simplest approach is just to refactor the code and move uh, anonymous functions uh, into standalone functions but then of course you need to pass all the parameters explicitly uh, you cannot use the function closure another approach is to use the excellent open source package called async it uh, provides uh, many flows and uh, algorithms you can uh, run um, multiple Operate, uh, asynchronous operations either in parallel or in a sequence, one after the other. It is also possible to consume the result of the previous uh, operation in the next one. You can run asynchronous loops and so on. I would say it is a must-have for any JavaScript uh, developer to know this package. Uh, the next uh, approach to use are promises, which are available since uh, node uh, 0.12. The interesting thing in promises is that they still use uh, callbacks, but there the flow is uh, separated. There is a separate callback for the success case and for the error case. And this allows to use a flat chain of then calls for the different uh, asynchronous operation and with uh, just one catch call uh, you can intercept uh, any errors from any of these 
uh, operations. So this uh, simplifies the code uh, significantly. A newer approach is to use uh, generators for asynchronous uh, operations. Actually, uh, generators are kind of functions where you can return some value and help the function and then you can resume the function to proceed from the same point. And uh, people use that to manage asynchronous uh, code. But actually, it is meant for different purpose, so the syntax is somewhat uh, clunky. You should use this uh, yield keyword. And you also uh, need uh, separate uh, code to drive the generator. People here often use this code package. And uh, the latest uh, attempt to address this uh, issue is the new asynchronous uh, functions, which are available uh, in the latest in the latest uh, ECMAScript 8 uh, version. So in uh, this uh, in an asynchronous function, when you invoke uh, some asynchronous operation, you can use the await uh, keyword and at that point the JavaScript uh, code is uh, put on pause and when the operation is complete, the code is resumed or if there is an error, a standard exception is thrown and this allows you to use a standard uh, language constructs like conditions, loops, try-catch blocks and so on. And this is currently considered to be the best approach and it is available since Node version 7. So it's rather important and still complex topic though. And Stan, do you have a challenge with callbacks in Abacus? Yes, we are currently using an abstraction with co-module over standard generators. In a short, the magic behind this is something called tunk. It's a function that partially applies all arguments of the given function, except the callback. Our generator generators return tunks, which is involved with a special callback. It may sound complex at the beginning, but it's not. Uh, why have we done this? Uh, as you may suppose, our code seems like we are using uh, blocking functions, but asynchronously actually. In addition to the generators, we are trying some uh, new modules with async await approach but we need some more time to compare both and decide which is better fits for us. Good. Now that we've learned a bit more about Node, so I'm kind of wondering when is it really suitable to use Node.js? So are there any concrete cases for which it's the optimal choice of technology and why is that? Yeah, I would say for standard web applications, uh, Node.js would be the the default uh, choice, it was built exactly with such applications in mind. You can start an HTTP server uh, literally with five lines of code. It is uh, very simple to uh, handle HTTP requests and response. Also to implement uh, REST uh, services. It is uh, very easy with very little configuration and uh, code. Also, due to uh, its uh, low resource consumption, Node is very suitable for implementing uh, microservices where you have a large uh, number of uh, separate microservices and each one of them does not consume uh, too much uh, resources. 
And it is also very suitable to deploy uh, in the cloud where you can utilize uh, multiple uh, cores and multiple hosts by just uh, scaling those microservices. In addition, we recently see that uh, people use a lot uh, Node.js to build uh, uh, various uh, command line tools for automating various tasks. And uh, generally, using uh, Node.js and a huge uh, ecosystem of NPM packages, there are currently about half a million uh, packages which are free to use. Uh, you can build almost uh, any solution very quickly. And based on your experience, are there actually uh, the opposite cases where we should definitely not go for Node.js? <laughs> yes, of course, uh, Node.js is not a, a silver bullet. There are use cases where it is not so appropriate for workloads uh, which are CPU bound like uh, machine learning, processing, big data, or low-level infrastructure components uh, which, uh, for which performance is critical, probably there are better technological solutions there. Mm -hmm. And what's actually new uh, with the current recommended Node.js version A.x and why? what's worth mentioning here? Yes, yeah, so one of the major new things uh, are the support for asynchronous functions and also the await uh, keyword. So Note 8 is the first uh, long-term support version which features uh, this. Actually, these are available since Node version 7, but as you know, each odd-numbered version of Node is supported just for six months, so Node 8 is the first one to have this in long-term support. Also in Node 8 we see for the first time support for HTTP2, which uh, offers uh, many improvements, in the, especially in the area of performance, but still it is in experimental phase. Also, Node 8 comes by default with NPM 5, uh, which uh, has significantly improved uh, performance and also some other interesting features. And of course, V8 is also upgraded to the latest version 6, which uh, brings uh, new internal components with improved uh, JavaScript execution performance. Good. And actually, in SAP Cloud Platform, we usually um, push Node.js applications using the community build pack. So I guess that's the case also with Abacus, right? Um, what should we care about then when we push a productive Node.js applications? Any tips and tricks, special settings? Yes, very important is to ensure that you run with uh, the same engine versions in your local testing environments. And uh, when an application is deployed on production, we are able to set a node and npm versions in the package.json files uh, with all this practice in Abacus and our advice to do so we just we avoid situations like uh, some of our dependencies work fine with node 8 but does not work properly with node 7 for example here also worth mentioning about cluster module which creates master and the worker process and master process dispatches the incoming requests to the workers in a round robin way. 
So when calculating the memory, we have to consider both processes, both master and workers. We in Arcus also have had similar implementation, but we have found that uh, it's better to scale with instances and delegate the dispatching to the cloud foundry. And Peter, you already mentioned the piece of development using the existing packages, which is definitely nice, but brings up a question on, I guess, dependency management. So is it a challenge and are there, again, some best practices that you can share and pitfalls? Yes, I would start that uh, to manage uh, dependencies, uh, people usually uh, use uh, NPM, which uh, is a significant part of the Node.js and JavaScript uh, ecosystem. It brings many innovations uh, in the area of dependency management. For example, it relies uh, heavily on the semantic versioning, which for the first time brings uh, a clear meaning uh, to uh, the different, to the separate uh, version uh, components, how they are treated. And with the help of uh, NPM, it is uh, very simple to uh, define your dependencies. You just put a name and the version, and in addition to that, you can also use uh, version uh, ranges with the nifty syntax. You can specify a minimum version, but you can also allow for patches or also for uh, new features, but new compatible features. Another interesting uh, feature of uh, NPM is that uh, it installs all the dependencies uh, locally within your application. So your application is self-contained and this allows you to get the directory of your application and copy it somewhere else or deploy it in another environment or in the cloud and it should work uh, the same way. And also if you have uh, multiple applications, their dependencies are kept uh, separate. So uh, there are no uh, side effects between uh, different uh, applications. And uh, also another interesting feature is that NPM allows you to uh, use uh, the same package with uh, different versions. For example, if uh, two of your direct dependencies require a third dependency with a different version. Each one of them can have its own copy with that different version. And this uh, helps to avoid version conflicts. And uh, particularly with uh, NPM, it is uh, interesting that uh, we see that there is a large number, but uh, smaller packages. And this kind of uh, follows the Unix philosophy to do one thing and uh, do it well. Of course, this ends up in having a multiple, a large number of dependencies. And uh, then you have to manage that. One particular challenge which we have faced is uh, how to deal with uh, room vulnerabilities in the open source uh, packages. And uh, luckily there are such um, uh, services existing that uh, monitor the open source packages for vulnerabilities. So you can use them to 
check regularly if any of your uh, dependencies that you rely on, if there are any known vulnerabilities for them. I would just uh, mention Snipe or SourceClear. These are a few of the services that we use to monitor our dependencies and I would highly recommend to use such a solution and of course it is important to update the, your dependencies uh, regularly in order to ensure that you get the latest fixes. Another rec recommendation based on our experience is to avoid when possible packages with native code because this uh, need to compile C code and this requires the presence on the host of multiple compilers, Python and other tools which are not always installed or not properly configured and this com compilation often fails or even there are some packages which try to avoid this uh, tricky compilation but for instead of that they download uh, pre-built binaries from internet which then bring some uh, security risks so if there are alternatives with pure javascript code i would recommend recommend to use them in particular, when deploying uh, on the SAP platform, it is a common recommendation to vendor dependencies. This means to execute npm install locally before pushing your application and then uh, push the whole application together with the complete node modules directory. And this ensures that in Cloud Foundry, your application will run the same way as it runs locally or in your test environment. Yeah, that's actually a nice hint, by the way, because looking at the official Cloud Foundry Node.js community build pack documentation, they just tell you that npm install will run automatically for you, but you need to have in mind whether you deploy productive app or you're just playing around and experimenting. So that's a definitely a good tip. Yes, uh, when uh, developing and testing, it is uh, okay to rely on the build pack, but for productive deployment, it is considered uh, best practice uh, to vendor your dependencies. And in this regard, uh, some people even recommend to fix the even the version of the build pack because it is possible, although not very likely, that a new version of the build pack brings some changes which might break your uh, application so it is possible when uh, pushing an application to specify an exact uh, version of the build pack. Right. And looking back at Stoyan and uh, the experience with Abacus, um, I guess you also face the challenge with dependency management. So can you share what's the approach that works for you? Just as you may know in Node.js uh, you could use open, ra open ranges for your dependencies. Uh, moreover, it's considered as a good practice. This approach may cause a problem with a reproducible build and downloading different versions of your dependencies on different environments. And uh, for example, we had situations when uh, our transitive dependency had incompatible changes. Uh, in other words, they does not follow same verb. Uh, we also came across a case when uh, but fix had a security fix and it broke down our performance. So considering all set so far and the fact that we had to ensure a producible build, we, start, we started using shrink wrap, which frees our dependency versions. 
Uh, one drawback here is that uh, we have to we have to update these shrink wrap files periodically. I just wanted to add that uh, since npm version five, uh, npm also checks the hashes inside the the shrink wrap file. So uh, the this uh, file contains a hash of the content of each package. So when npm downloads a package from the registry, it will also verify that the content matches uh, the hash inside the shrink wrap file and. This is a major security improvement which uh, helps uh, guarantee the integrity of the downloaded packages that they are not tampered with and they are exactly the same as those you have used uh, during testing. And talking about uh, packages and dependencies, I know we actually have our own ICP NPM registry and packages available there that actually a lot of these packages are developed in your team, Peter, right? Uh, yes. And um, maybe can you shed some light? I know there is a lot of documentation, but I'm not really into reading a lot of documentation. So can you share some some light uh, on what kind of goodies these models bring usually? Yes. So first, since uh, recently, uh, NPM uh, SAP has. Uh, released its own uh, npm registry uh, you can find it at the address npm.sap.com only sap packages are hosted there currently there are about uh, 50 packages uh, sap packages make use of the scope feature in npm so they all start with the add uh, sap scope and npm allows you to configure a different uh, registry for uh, different scopes so users are expected to configure the sap the npm .sap.com registry for uh, packages starting with the sap scope so as mentioned uh, we have uh, about uh, 50 packages currently in the SAP NPM registry, uh, there are packages for handling security, for authenticating uh, requests with uh, JAT tokens, which is the standard authentication mechanism on the SAP platform. There are uh, packages uh, for audit logging, uh, packages for connecting with uh, various uh, services on the SAP platform. Good. We talked quite some time for developing an application, for pushing a productive Node.js application on the platform, and I, I cannot stop thinking about uh, operations. So, um, is there an option actually to debug a Node.js application? How you can see what's happening at runtime in case there is a problem? Uh, yes, uh, it is uh, possible uh, to debug, although there are uh, some uh, issues with that. So, first, uh, during uh, testing and developing, developing where you usually run your application with a single instance, uh, you can uh, connect with a debugger. You can use uh, this uh, port forwarding to open a tunnel from your local PC uh, to the container where your application is running and to connect with a debugger in order to investigate uh, issues. But as you can imagine, this is not applicable for productive scenarios where your application is probably scaled with multiple instances uh, to 
handle higher load and to ensure higher availability. So then you don't know to which instance to connect the debugger and also even if you connect and stop on a breakpoint, then all the requests stop processing. So this is not recommended to do uh, in a productive environment. The solution to use then is to uh, rely on, on logging and tracing. Okay, and talking about productive applications and operations, so uh, maybe Stian, what are the tips and tricks that you can share from the experience with the backers to address, let's say, resilience challenges of a productively running up? Even with all advantages that come from Cloud Foundry and Node.js, we have not said anything about network and everyone knows that the network is unreliable, which means that the connectivity between uh, our applications might be broken or unstable for a long period of time. Also, bandwidth might be insufficient and processing of the request may take too long. So to handle such situations, you may think about something like a try, but uh, it has to be done carefully because the application might be overloaded and uh, keep retrying is a bad idea. And we, in our course, have implemented an exponential back of retry, which gradually increased the amount of two consecutive retries. Also, in addition to the retries, we were using a high strict style circuit breakers. The idea is when a request fails after several retries, the circuit breaker opens, and this prevents from further retries. And failure propagating through the other microservices and when an application becomes available again the circuit breaker calls and the processing can go on okay let me say a few words about uh, network throughput in order to increase it you may you may use something like batching uh, we in Abacus batch many different requests into a single one we can even batch a request targeting different endpoints end at the same host and this allows us to achieve higher throughput over latency and uh, of course decrease the number of open connections. Even with batching, uh, we uh, cannot handle infinite number of requests, so that we have implemented the throttling. The idea behind it is uh, to limit the number of requests that we are processing at the same time and the rest we store in queue and one of the simultaneous requests finished, we pop one from the queue. Seems we need to take care of writing good logs for our productive applications and as well have in mind the fallacies of distributed computing and apply some tricks to handle this. Thank you Stian and Peter for the nice talk on Node.js. That was interesting, wasn't it? Please share on Twitter or the community whether you like and wish to have more similar deep dives and on which topics. The last piece on today's episode is gonna be the events around the corner in the beginning of 2018. We've picked some to mention here, starting with the Cloud Foundry Day in Sofia. It will take place on February 1st. Join us to understand how SAP and other companies use Cloud Foundry and get some insights on running applications on Cloud Foundry. We will also have a special guest, Chip Childers, the CTO of Cloud Foundry Foundation, and he will kick off the event with a keynote. Going further, on February 6th, there is a new open SAP course that will start, Cloud Native Operations with SAP Cloud Platform. Join the course, and I promise you will like the content. Inside tracks were covered already in the December podcast episode, 
but just to remind you, there is an SAP Insight Track in Hanover on February 24th. You can find information for all these events and many more on SAP Developer Events page that is also linked from our SAP Cloud Platform community page. Check this out and remember there are a lot of options to get familiar with SAP Cloud Platform. And that is a wrap for episode 36 of the SAP Cloud Platform podcast in January. Remember, keep engaging with us online, share your knowledge with us blogging, and if there is anything you want to hear about in this podcast, let us know via Twitter. Don't miss tuning into the next episode. And thanks a lot. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the SAP Cloud Platform podcast. In case you are interested to learn more about SAP Cloud Platform, visit our homepage at cloudplatform.sap.com. The SAP Cloud Platform podcast is powered by OpenSAP. OpenSAP is SAP's innovative learning platform and a thought leader for enterprise massive open online courses. It provides you with an engaging and effective learning experience through gamification and by connecting you with other learners and SAP experts. OpenSAP courses are free of charge and are offered in English. Enroll today in one of our OpenSAP courses at open.sap.com. Thanks a lot and see you.